What is up, Internet? I see you no longer are afraid of a woman's blood. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you'll have to talk to me because I haven't given him ears. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film The Northman. Can we just try that again with a little bit more of a growl? The Northman. Okay, now imagine that you've been running through mud, dirt, and snow for five days. (laughs) The Northman. And a little bit more man bear. The Northman. A little bit more yogi bear. The the yard man, (laughs) boo-boo. Let's go get a picnic basket. Okay, I like the evolution. Did we do it? That's the take I'm using. Thank you very much. Okay, (laughs) good. Uh, I I will, uh, my day rate will be sent to uh, my agent. Thank you very much. (laughs) How are you, Mr. Kroll? I, you know, I'm all right. I'm doing good. Just you know, living that living that forty lifestyle, man. Oh, you yeah, you're, you're forty now. This is uh, I'm forty this is now. An important uh, uh, decade for you coming up, and also uh, the Judd Apatow movie is more relevant than ever. <laughs> <laughs> what the one about the virgin? No, this is forty. Oh, he's done two of them, I guess, hasn't he? Uh, what this is for? What has he? He's done two movies, or didn't he do Forty Year Old Virgin? Uh, he. Did do forty year old version? Yes. Am I yes. crazy? You are, you are. Am I crazy? Am I crazy in not knowing what Jud Judd Apatow's uh, entire? I don't. I did he do? Oh God, this is embarrassing. Yeah. Uh, yes, he did do the forty year old version, and he yeah, did, there we go. And he did do this is forty. Uh, so uh, good spotting. Yep, you're right. All right, yep. there we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, this is an important decade for you, but also an important decade for us as a movie-going podcast because now we are old movie uh, podcasters. Oh, shit, are we the old guard now? Yeah, we are the old guard. Yo, what is what is some of the youth? Email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. What's the youngest film movie reviewer or discussion person podcast that you listen to? I want to know what the kids are doing the, so the, I can rip it off. The youngest movie podcaster on the planet has been on this show my son no he doesn't no 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 he was a guest on our podcast he doesn't do a weekly podcast he, if he, he does and i don't know about it that's a problem you know what's funny about him so write in and tell us if you actually want me to produce this content i have two recorded uh kind of mini episodes with him that i have just not taken the time to edit but if listeners would like to hear those you can go over to our patreon page and i'll make it an extra goal by the way we don't have a patreon page um oh, bird go, sick burn to us <laughs> go uh email us in at only movie podcast uh he has a review discussion about encanto which is super adorable and oddly one about the laser beam dance in oceans 12 um wow so we, we have specific pieces of co- and those were recorded very nicely he was a little bit younger at the time uh we talked about uh Catherine Zeta jones and entrapment it was a lot hey so here's what i'm going to say okay. listeners we know that literally hundreds hundreds of you listen almost every week i will say this if at least 10 of you email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com I will work on starting a Patreon. <laughs> oh, I thought this. If, would be- if you email us in and say you'd like us to start a Patreon, right? Not just email us in. I thought you were going to say you were going to force me to make these pieces of content, which I have not. Well, th- no, I would because that would be one of the the stretch goals or one of the <laughs> monthly things or like whatever. You'd be making work for Shahir, which would really. Maybe. Be funny for me. There you go. Uh, no, I'd have to do a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying, if there's interest, if you if you would like. To throw us money for extra things, let us know. Or, I mean, we could go the super low fi route and just get a get a Kofi account. You here? 
Oh, that's uh, that's where you just you donate. One just like throw a buck or like whatever, whatever you want. Spirit change, spirit change. <laughs> I feel like I'm just howling my cap out. At any rate, uh, but enough <laughs> about you paying us for this free content you've enjoyed for seven years or how long? Is- <laughs> I don't I know. Don't know. Uh, we have a couple of emails. We do have a couple of emails this week, which I'm really glad about. Uh, people have written us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Matt, could you take us uh, through the first email, which is about a yes. little red panda who's not so little? It's true. This is from Kellen. He writes. Hey, Shahir and Matt, hope you're both doing well. Just wanted to reach out after the Turning Red episode of the podcast. I thought the conversation was insightful and entertaining as always. I especially appreciated the shout out to Tim Horton's The Superior (laughs) Coffee Restaurant Chain. I like that. Um, One thing I was hoping to get your thoughts on is something uh, Disney and Pixar have done several times before that I didn't realize until my partner brought it up per usual. As delightful as it is, she helped me realize that Turning Red is another example of a non-white protagonist spending part of the runtime as an animal. Oh, interesting. He continues, uh, with movies like The Emperor's New Groove, Brother Bear, The Princess and the Frog, and most recently Soul, the representation and then giving a voice to a people of color and indigenous peoples is kind of a mixed message when they spend half of the movie not in their own skin, so to speak. As a white guy, I unfortunately didn't even consider this, so I was wondering if either of you did. Maybe there is a movie about an Indian, Fijian, Kiwi, or a New Hampshire goth who turns into an animal. (laughs) Thanks again. Keep up the great work, Kellen. Thank you, Kellen. Thank you, Kellen. Now, I, uh, Kellen actually happened to write this to me while I was in the midst of, uh, uh, my COVID quarantine. He actually also wrote me on my birthday. So I'd gotten up early and I was doing some stuff and I was like, you know what? I have responses. And I wrote him a very long-winded email. Shahir, uh, I got to say, <laughs> and I haven't read your response. Yeah. I have not. <laughs> However, if I didn't know you, if I was writing into a podcast and then to someone I did not know, <laughs> and then and then I got that response back, I would be like, whoa, dude. You would have been like, you know what? I'm not emailing back anymore, probably. Um, but I actually... No, it's, I'm sure it's very well thought out. Uh, probably not. Um, I, I I did write a long response to it, which is full of muddled thoughts, but um, uh, this topic of... Uh, representation of non-white characters as animals has actually come up in quite a bit of detail in relation to soul. And there's a great article uh, uh, on Gizmodo um, by, it was by Charles Pulliam Moore, which I believe I might've referenced uh, when we did the episode itself that discusses this in some detail. And I think we talked about um, this sort of unique aspect of soul, which was that it was directed by two directors, um, one kind of dealing with the afterlife and one dealing with uh, that character's um, um, ordinary life, um, which also had sort of a racial diversity to it, uh, racial se- separation to it. Um, and it, it is, uh, your, uh, Callan, your partner is certainly right to call this out. And I think it is actually a really important point. Uh, the, for me, uh, I noted it most in, um, in Christopher Nolan's Tenant, which was the first film that featured an African-American lead, but one who specifically didn't have an identity and was only concerned with the, the lives of the people around him, uh, i.e. the, the, the white characters. Um, literally named protagonist. R- literally named protagonist. Um, uh, it, this is not also to level the, the crane, uh, uh, the claim that these films are actively going out of their way to uh, exclude our um, uh, total um, representations of minorities and, and other cultures, but just to say that it is a it is a trend that we see uh, in amongst these movies. I think in the case of Turning Red, however, I will say the fact that Domi Shi is the writer director. It is really based upon. 
uh, her childhood and um, her life in some way. Uh, I, I think the the trope uh, of of not being um, within her own skin is not as prevalent, uh, at least to me in this particular film, because it is um, there is a totality of the representation of culture, and the thing that Kellen is kind of describing is the is the the stripping away of one's culture because That's of the, the thing. An, it's the it's normally the othering. Yeah, the other and exactly. This, this, while it is turning into an animal, it is something that is culturally related not only to the character and the character's family, but also to the people involved in making and controlling the narrative of the film. And I would even posit, like, more than, like, The Emperor's New Groove or, like, you know, some of the other examples that Kellen gave, um, it's it's um, it's less – it, it, the 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 act of what the transformation is an out of control like sort of bestial panda mm-hmm. is also very central to the theme of what the transformation represents right and it is and it's actually it, there is a uh, a very um, succinct cultural aspect to that uh, transformation as well it's not it's not wiping away uh, somebody's identity it is actually but, enriching but our understanding up. of it. Yeah, that, that's this is. I mean, it's a hundred percent a trope that I have noticed, and uh, I, uh, I I know that it was the joke of the New Hampshire goth, of course, but I I fall into the cis white male boat uh, <laughs> myself. So, uh, I mean, I was trying to think when I was when I when I read the email, I'm like, huh. I mean, there really aren't a lot of. I mean, I'm sure there are, and I'm blanking. Email us in only move podcast at gmail.com. Um, but like what, what, where like a white dude gets turned into something else. I mean, there's like teen wolf. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and which, you know, and like the anthropomorphization of, uh, humans to animals is a, you know, standard, um, fixture in both the children's narrative and the Disney and Pixar narrative. So it's, it's not uncommon. What I think, uh, Keller, uh, Keller's partner pointed out is that this tends to happen more to uh, not uh, to non-white characters, and and yeah. there and and that is coupled with the fact that non-white characters are not represented in those films on majority. Um, so so it's it's a it's a compl- it is quite a sort of a niche observation in that there's a very it's a very sp- specific. Uh, type of observation, but it is, but it is worth noting that that does happen. Heck. And again, uh, I would point you to that Gizmodo article and um, uh, about Soul that that discusses that. I might even I might even go as far as say like let's say and I don't I know I can't back this up. This is a sake of argument kind of thing. Let's say for the sake of argument that it is in equal parts the amount of 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 um, uh, minorities or people of color uh, turned into animals in movies as it is to white people turned into movies. Sure. It still actually wouldn't matter because there's a trillion more stories about white people. Like the the ratio yeah. would still be way off and weighed in the in the wrong way. So like no, I I 100 see that. Yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. No, Kellen, thank you so much. That is an interesting observation. Please thank your partner for us for uh, bringing it up. Uh. And then moving on to Anika, who writes us in, uh, and who had previously uh, written us in about our Oscar episode and kind of gave us a really great summary of the uh top uh the best picture nominees. So much so that we thought she did a better job than we did and we're happy yeah. that she uh, is willing to write uh, this is a bit of you have I wanted to say thank you for the shout out on the pod during the worst person in the world episode I'd join you folks anytime let's see if we can make that happen at some point also was excited to hear your folks review this film that film being the worst person in the world I 
really loved it. It really struck me, and I really enjoyed the surreal elements as well. Also, I loved your folks' interpretation of the title of the film. It was something I found myself pondering as I watched. I definitely resonate with the idea that it could be our main character's own reflection on how she perceives herself, and also the, the idea that, of the, that the concept of the worst person in the world could be quite fluid depending on the time of the film and whose perspective you are taking. Anyways, hope you folks have a great rest of your week. Thanks always for gracing us with your wonderful part. Best, Anika. Appreciate that. I'm glad you Thank enjoyed you. that film. Um, I it's a uh, did, it didn't appear in my top ten because of last year because we reviewed it after we had published our top tens. So uh, it would mm-hmm. definitely appear there. And I love that um, more people are thinking about the relationship to the title uh, because it's it's just a great title. What a great title for a movie: the worst person in the world, and for it to be <laughs> this kind of like lovely melodic carefree uh uh take on this uh time in a person's life i think that's absolutely delightful um matt any thoughts about uh being the worst person in the world or are we uh are we moving on from that uh <laughs> <laughs> what of, of, of us being the worst person in the we world clearly are no no because there can be only one and you there you if it, it's, it, it's by a, it's a highlander type name. situation yeah yeah <laughs> Um, no, I, I I love that I love that folks are uh, interpreting the uh, title differently. Um, I also love that uh, sort of I like I like Anika your idea of the non permanence of the title. Right. If that makes sense, like I think that's a really cool concept. So yeah, no. Right now we are into Robert Eggers' The Northman, uh, the third film in the Robert Eggers uh, filmography, and we have actually done uh, the previous two. So this might be one of those filmmakers that whose traje- whose career trajectory we track all the way through the next thirty years of this podcast. Uh, Look, it's got to happen <laughs> with someone. Um, Matt, could you tell us what The Northman? As a boot, I could, I surely can, uh, and I have to say, in my opinion, the Internet Movie Database uh, really dropped the ball on this one, right. at least in the beginning. <laughs> From visionary director Robert Eggers comes The Northman, an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. Ah, you mean- I say they dropped the ball. I mean, it's it's it is accurate, right? You know, but I I am I am even though. I highly, highly respect uh, Robert Eggers. I hate when things start with from the from visionary director. Right, uh, it's a pet peeve. Yeah, I think I I believe now there there is probably some history to this and. uh, Matt Singer over at Screen Crush, I think, has been tracking this word for a little while. Um, but the 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 phrase from the visionary director might have originated with Zack Snyder on Watchmen. Um, the trailer material for that did did state it as from visionary director Zack Snyder. Um, it is obviously a marketing uh, tool uh, to to cite something as a visionary director, though not entirely unprompted. Uh, in the wake of Robert Eggers, we, as I say, we have followed his work. Uh, I have been particularly excited b- by his work. Uh, the Witch, or The Vitch, uh, depending on how you like to spell it, um, was quite possibly one of my favorite films in the year that we did it, which was 2016 or 2017, something like that. Um, and I quite enjoyed The Lighthouse, though not loving it as much. But I, f- what I, what I quite enjoyed about The Lighthouse was that this was a uniquely a, a, a vision that was unique. To him, and I don't think anybody else could make that movie. So uh, for that reason alone, I was like, "Well, I am lining up to see the Northman, no matter what." Uh, it's just mm. uh, 
the way I will roll for a director who has served me well at this point. Um, yeah, yeah. Matt, you were not as enthused about this movie. No, but that's my thing with just Vikings. Right. You're just not uh, enthused by Vikings. I, I to be weirdly <laughs> honest, I'm not. I, we did a phenomenal series on um, the Viking expansion over on Extra History, and something I'm going to be quoting quite a bit. We did a one-off on uh, Ibn Fatlan, who is a uh, traveler who traveled to uh, spend time with the Rus Vikings, okay. um, and uh, is one of the only. I'm sorry. I keep hearing the fucking fart cars whizzing by oh. and I cannot keep a thought. What? Like, it is infuriating. <laughs> they have to be zipping up and down the highway. I have no idea what's happening. Uh, I'm yeah. going to try that again. Locked in a closet. Um, and a one-off series uh, on on the traveler Ibn Fatlan, who uh, spent time with the Rus Vikings and actually is the only written account of uh, what a Viking funeral uh, entails, or at least what he saw and interpreted through an interpreter of what a Viking funeral is. And in this film, there is a Viking there funeral. There is a Viking funeral. Um, and a Boy, lot of the there. sort of, the, a lot of the, um, it's funny, because like after doing a series on the history of it, like it's a lot of tropes based around one telling from a man who was very personally involved in his recounting and didn't speak the language at all, so had to deal with through interpreters and didn't fully understand and was, to be perfectly honest, kind of judgmental in the way he was talking. So, like, you never really know what is true and what isn't. I'm not saying it's it's a bad account. It's literally the only one we have. Right. Um, but it's just sort of interesting how history remembers things and what pieces media take from cultures that are long gone. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. So... Uh, but other than that, other than those series, I I just don't like I. It's something about the aesthetic, mm. or or the the um, the the way it is present. This I don't know. It it never it never has grabbed me. Right. So hack out um, the horrible was not your jam. No, no. <laughs> um, but but let's but let's go down the list of the things. And, and what what bugged me was, I should have been psyched for it because it was Eggers. I should have been psyched for it. Because it was Alexander Skarsgård, who not only am I a huge fan of, also who has the best IMDb photo yeah. <laughs> in all of IMDb. If you haven't seen it, we've talked about it before. Go check it out. Uh, but I, I, not only is he in this movie, but he also plays the titular Northman, hmm. while he also used to play Eric Northman oh, on, on True Blood. There you go. Uh, which was a series I really loved, and I loved the first five seasons so much that I will continually apologize for season six and seven. Okay. Um, but this, this cast is star-studded, right? Yeah. Like, you got Nicole Kidman, Ethan Hawke, uh, Anna Taylor-Joy, like, the, uh, Willem Dafoe pops up. Bjork. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Mia Bjork's in this. Like, there's, there's, like, there's a ton of, like, like, star power that I love seeing in stuff. Right. So, like, all of this should have got me excited. But, like... Okay. It's funny. You know what it was, too, I think? Mm. I, I, from the trailers, and I know you don't watch them, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, did they just basically green knight this shit? <laughs> like, which they didn't. Right. <laughs> um, but, like, it, there's certain there's certain elements um, to it that I was like, huh, okay. It felt, it felt like a weird Viking combination of Green Knight and uh, the tragedy of Macbeth okay. in a weird way and, and in, to, in, the, in the advertisements. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of not in the mood. And, and to be um, clear, Amleth, the story of Amleth, uh, is the inspiration for the tragedy of Macbeth, right? 
Uh, sorry um, for Hamlet. Is the is the uh, Amleth the, the the Scandinavian myth is the inspiration for Hamlet? That I actually do not know. Uh, it, but it is, I, and it is, it oh, is great. the influence for the Lion King as well. As the Lion, as much as the Lion King is influenced by well, I Hamlet, d- yes, I do know that the Lion King is based off Hamlet, yeah, and Amleth is the original inspiration for that. Uh, so, 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 so this is the origin of the the Hamlet mythology. Uh, right, of course, the the young prince who has to avenge his father's death. Um, okay, so you weren't psyched for the movie at all. Um, I insisted upon t- making you go see it because uh, I had just be- become out of COVID and I was uh, ready to go back to the movies. Um, pumped. Wh- wh- how, how, how did it work for you? I'm going to be a bit of a downer here, I think. Oh. Like, it was it was fine. Right. Like, it, the, 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 I, it, it's one of those... I, I have had a few of these, I feel like, more recently than... Maybe it's maybe it's as I'm getting older, she here. Mm-hmm. But, like... Like... Everything I'm seeing is done wonderfully. Like I can, I can, I can see a thing being presented with skill and craft and care. Right. But I'm not terribly interested in it. And and so that I like that's why. <laughs> like as we're talking about this movie, I like don't listen to me. Like <laughs> I, that's a weird thing for a podcaster to say, but like I can I can see the level of craft that is on display here from Eggers and the crew and the cast, but I didn't vibe with it. Right. Um. And that's not. It, it's you know sometimes I do think it's the movie's fault yeah. when like if this if you know I'm in the mood for the subject matter or the script or like whatever is you know whatever and it doesn't hit me I'm like yeah you could have done this that and the other thing better I can't think of a way. They could have made this movie better to make me like it more. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's weird. I, like, I, I, so, like, for so, instance, Shahir, yeah. how how we can get? Well, I'll, I'll pop back in and out, but I feel like I'm going to have less to say about it because I'm, I, I'm, I'm so five out of ten on it. Right. Um, what What did you think? Well, so this is an interesting thing because obviously I came at it from a uh, a different point of view, which is that uh, 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 Iggers gets my money, which is you know, I'm just I'm ready to throw down Hard whatever uh, whatever money he uh, what, whatever money um, he wants for whatever it is he wants to do. I'm there. Um, do you hear that, Robert? <laughs> Robert? Do you hear that? Yeah, Robert, write us in. Only movie podcast. Uh, you can get what ten bucks from me right now. I'll, oh, it's, oh, it's only up to ten bucks. That's I mean, not as that's not as enticing. You said uh, any of the money for any of the things. Yeah, any of the money of any of the things, and I don't have a lot of money, so you know you get it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, uh, there is an interesting uh, uh, article in the New Yorker, which is a profile of Eggers as he was putting the film into post production. And I read this after I'd watched the movie because there was a sensation that I had during the movie, which is that the quality about Eggers that I really appreciated, loved, and and uh, am so. Uh, mesmerized by was this both uh, an unflinching sense of a st- uh, of the weaving between magic and realism. Not to say it's magical realism, but that the one of the two are intertwined in a way that uh, they are inseparable. There is magic in the world, and there is you know, and and his worlds are both uh, meticulously researched and grounded in a way um, that feel lived in, breathed in. You watch The Witch again, which is uh, astounding because if the, the, if there's no spoiler for this, but there is a real witch in that movie who has supernatural powers, um, and there is real magic in that world and then and it takes place in new hampshire and it takes place in new hampshire so kellen uh your email before about representation uh, that's the movie to watch um i guess for me <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and in the case of the lighthouse the sort of uh the the meticulous research coupled with like both the the imagined realities of uh lighthouse uh keepers uh and and the worlds in which they inhabit uh again 
absolutely beautiful. Now, the feeling I had from the film, and this is going to come across as a confirmation bias, uh, um, uh, a sense of confirmation bias, and I would be a hundred percent. You would be a hundred percent correct if you felt that uh, all I was doing was kind of collecting the thoughts uh, after the fact that that supported my confirm uh, my bias on the film. My bias on the film was to suggest that this was not a full throated effort from Eggers to represent the ideas that he had about the way in which mysticism, mythology, and brutality come together at play. Um, there is such a sort of linear line to this film about vengeance that um, almost in a way feels comical. Like, like, like Amleth's qu- uh, quest for vengeance seems silly to me in a, in a way like not not in that his actual reasons for vengeance aren't uh aren't real and true but the movie's persistence that he will have you know like him writing away as a child you know shout, uh, saying i will have my vengeance i will avenge you father i will avenge you mother i will kill you there was something sort of funny about it to me <laughs> like like that, that that maybe in the wake of the fact that that revenge in as a theme in, fil- in film is so pervasive and there's so many movies that that take that theme and play with it in interesting ways and and pull it apart and dissect it in interesting ways there's something sort of linear about this that didn't quite land for me and then the movie really did work for me when there was sort of an element of mysticism about it but i felt like that that mysticism there, there was something about the qualities of this movie where it felt like that mysticism was held back and there's, there's no greater case in point for me um when there's a moment in which uh, a character um, arranges uh, or, you know, murders some people and arranges their bodies in a certain way that strikes fear in the heart of the men who have who, who get to witness it. And the arrangement of bodies is supposed to be to strike the fear of the incoming um, wave of Christianity, which is going to, um, you know, rob these people of their of their heritage and, and traditions. And it is. And there was just this, I, as I was watching, I was going. I feel like this scene in the Eggers that I think I know from The Witch and The Lighthouse would play a little weirder. Well, I would get it. I, I didn't get the read on the Christian thing. Is that just from the play or is that, or is that from the, sorry, from the tale, like the mythology? That's what Fion, happens. Is or? it Fionia, Flonier? Uh, the main character actually says it out loud. He says uh, the, the, it's the Christians who are doing this. Um, as a, a series of bodies. Oh, Fjolnir says it. Yeah, he says it out loud, and he says it as a as a fear that the the incoming wave of Christianity is what's causing you know is what is um, causing harm to his family and his uh, and his tribe. Gotcha. Uh, um, and and again, I think that 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 to me felt like something that both Iggers would be really interested in and also play to its more of more fuller uh, potential but like you said matt you didn't even notice it you know like it just kind of it kind of happens and it's like we don't really even see how the bodies are arranged in a way that that suggests that it's kind of just happens very offhandedly off camera you know what's interesting Mm. maybe this i I think i might have due to what you just said gotten to a point where I, I know something that is missing that I that I think could have made the film better in my eyes. Right. That both The Vich and The Lighthouse do. Yeah. Uh, also, is it all the movies? The Witch. The Lighthouse. The, the Northman. Lighthouse. The Northman. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, and that is that the location, mm. the, the uh, pre-colonial wilderness of New Hampshire, or the titular lighthouse or the island that the lighthouse is on, mm-hmm. 
is far more of a narrative through line and character in and of itself in these films. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it le- it leads a level of like, I don't know, like, um, like uh, realism in the fantastical. Whereas here, there isn't that. I'm not talking like it doesn't need to take place in like one spot. That's not what I'm saying. Because the film does kind of take place in w- overall one spot, kind of. Right. Uh, 70% of the runtime. Um, but the the thing that I'm thinking of more is we don't know anything about the Viking lands. Mm-hmm. Like nothing, nothing, nothing about like we're like, oh, he gets away and then he's in a big old bad bear man that got taken in by like Viking shaman. Mm-hmm. And like, cool, we know nothing about that other than sort of what we see. And then we're off to uh, Fjolnir's camp, but we know nothing about like, we like, they mention offhandedly like, oh, he ran because he couldn't hold on to his kingdom. Hmm. Like, cool. Like, we were shown slowly drip fed sort of like um, uh, Viking or, or um, I keep saying Viking. There's actually a more correct word for it. Right. Um, yeah. Because they're not Vikings. Yeah. Did you know this? No, I didn't it's, know that. It's <laughs> Viking is a, is a uh, verb. Right. It's like you, you, you go Vike. Viking. Yeah. But if they're not, they're not Vikes either. They, like it's just, that's a bastardization of like what this is. So I, I think this is based on the Rus, but again, I, again, it's been a minute. It's been like two years since I did those series. If you want to know more about that, check out extra history on the Viking expansion or Ibn Fatlan. But this one like it doesn't feel like that culture is a character outside of the ooh look at the weird stuff they do like you know what i mean where the rest of it felt like all together somehow yeah and this is and this is that part of this where i'll go this feels like a uh a, 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 some part of confirmation bias i mean Igers himself has actually walked back this interview in some in some respect but this was is is, is the biggest movie Igers has done it's also a studio film uh and he got uh, an extensive amount of, of studio notes and uh he himself has described uh the process in this new yorker article at least and as i say he has walked it back a little bit is that he uh would felt he describes this movie as his most entertaining and he didn't think he could make an entertaining film um which which was a sort of a surprising thing and the Weird. uh you know his 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 quote here is that uh, I think I've delivered the most entertaining version. The most entertaining version is not necessarily something I'm usually striving for, but it was here, you know, and it happened. And uh, he also says, uh, uh, frankly, I don't. In terms of the editing process that he had for this film, frankly, I don't think I'll do it again, even if it means like I'm not making a film like this big ever again. And by the way, I'd like to make a film this big. I'd like to make <laughs> one even bigger, but without control, I don't know. It's too hard on my person. And the the actual um, the article opens with the fact that the the film tested uh, somewhat poorly uh, amongst audiences, and he was required by the studio to deliver sort of a, a shortened version of it. And uh, look again, I don't know the intimate details of how this film is put together, or on how close this vi- is is to Igor's original vision, or whether it's even investing that much in the mythology. You know, the visionary director Robert Igor's uh, the mythology of what that uh, what that means in association with this film. I obviously put. A, a, as a as a uh, film critic and reviewer, I put a lot of weight on the film on the director because I'm also a director myself. Um, but but there you know that certainly leads to um, many misinterpretations of how a film works. I will say I there is a linearity to the actual. 
uh, mechanics of the plot, which which felt a little comical to me, you know, a little just like straight line. I want to take revenge. There is a great reveal towards the back end of this film in terms of like dismantling the idea of revenge and dismantling the idea of what the world was, you know, the, this imaginary notion of what the world was before um, Amleth's father was killed, um, which I think is actually really, really great. Um, but at the same time, I felt like this wasn't quite landing on the way that I I would have hoped from an Iggy's film at this point. And and another case in point here is that there is a lot of like deliciously and I'm I'm quoting Black Adam uh, Black Philip here, a lot of deliciously beautiful um uh camera movements here. It's Black Philip. Black Philip, yeah. The the go- Black Adam is Black who Adam the rock is the rock. Is yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I'm quoting Black Adam and Black Philip. Yeah, together they are one. Um I would watch that. And, I, I, Black Phillip should just appear in every movie. There should just be a goat who talks uh, in every in every movie oh, from now on. I would love that, <laughs> non ironically. Oh my like, god! I just like it should be like Stanley's cameo. Like there should be a Black Phillip <laughs> in every movie. Um, but at any rate, uh, uh, there is a lot of beautifully choreographed linear camera moves that uh, kind of painstakingly. Um, illustrate how big the world the canvases that that Iggers is playing with you know like at the beginning uh, raiding scene there's a sort of beautiful straight line camera that kind of runs down this village as uh, a group of uh, uh, Vikings is not the correct term I apologize I'll use it as a short I'm going to keep saying the Rus the Rus but there was so many other groups of of that but like I'm basing I'm basing it and and you can write me RSN only movie podcast gmail.com I'm going to keep saying it um, because the Viking funeral stuff that they did is based on the Rus so that's why I'm gathering that right and but yeah, you know. At, at any rate, uh, I while I appreciated the the work in the camera movement and kind of like noticed it immediately and kind of felt it, I also felt it was kind of antithetical to the brutality of the world. Like there was a sort of a cleanliness and like modernity to that to those camera moves, which was like antithetical to like the groundedness with which you know, like for a guy who shot the lighthouse in. Uh, Four by three, black and white, um, you know, with old lenses. There was something sort of oddly precise and modern about these camera oh. movements that this is. It felt antithetical to like the idea that this is a brutal, you know, a brutal, um, you know, harsh reality that these characters are in. And I'm, I don't. I'll tell you what it was. What? <laughs> What's that? They shot it like a Marvel movie. They shot that part like a standardized, cool look. What we can do in air quotes one take. Nice and smooth, no matter what's happening. Follow this one character through their (laughs) daredevil hallway scene. Like it, it, it it felt like that, and I it was it that scene. Well, again, I liked that scene. That scene was fine, but that's what it was. Well, on on the one hand, it felt out of place. The the other thing is that scene has you know kind of remind. uh, I think a lot of people are are, uh, comparing uh, Igers to Herzog in this film. Uh, To me, uh, I I just recently saw uh, Come and See for the first time, the Olaf Klim uh, Klim film, uh, the Russian uh, uh, anti-war film, which actually... There is a scene that is reminiscent of this particular scene uh, from the Northman in that scene, which actually concludes in almost the same way, uh, showing the brutalities of uh, a warring tribe and the way in which they will dispatch the um, the weak of the of the tribe uh, uh, that they have taken over. Um, and 
the I think there's just a thing here, which is there is a precise beauty to what Iggers achieves in those in the execution of those shots that just again just doesn't quite work for the way in which I felt the brutality of the world that Amleth was growing up in and who had become in. I, look, it, it, there may be just it, it's it's a it's a slight disconnect. Um, it also was coupled with a, a score that was percussive in almost um, percussive and repetitive and almost in a way that didn't quite work for me, as much as I love percussive scores that like are as bombastic as this was, I, I did feel like a little bit droned out by it at the end of the movie. Um, so I think there's this, there's again, a sense to me that, that perhaps this was not quite the vision that he had hoped for. I don't know if that's true or not, you know, like it may be, but it, I, there was certainly the feeling to me that, that, that this um, didn't quite work the way I think it w- should have worked. Well, not to confirm your confirmation bias. In fact, I think what I'm actually about to do will not confirm or anti-confirm or unaffirm your confirmation bias. I got the feeling that this movie definitely probably got a lot of studio notes, uh, but and I hadn't read that article. Like this movie, this movie smells like a film that got a lot of notes from a lot of different people. Right. Even though you can see Eggers in it, it's it's muddy. It's not clear. Um, so I don't know how much that affected this thing or if it was baked in from the beginning or based on deals where they had to do whatever by the end, make it shorter, do this, do that, and the other thing, whatever. But it definitely did not feel like a solitary creative vision like The Vich or The Lighthouse right. was. Yeah. Now, now, look, I've heard everyone I've spoken to about this movie out, outside of Yushihir has loved it. Right. Yeah. Um, so cool. Like... <laughs> But it's interesting that both of you, both you and I, kind of didn't quite respond to it, and and also the person I went and saw it with uh, also didn't respond to it in that way. Um, I, I, but there, there are sublime moments of beauty in this movie, and there are moments in it where you go, yeah, man, fucking Robert Eggers, man, you know, like there- I, I walked out of the theater at the end of it, and people were like smiling, talking, like saying how much they loved it, like like oh, can't believe it. Da 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 da. Like it was it, it was the first time in a while that like right. Although you know I, I went by myself, so I tend to like kind of notice a little bit yeah, more yeah. like people what they're saying, uh, and people fucking ate it up. So like that's great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And I, I you know like I. I wish this movie all the success for the for the for the very reason, which is that I still want to see more Robert Eggers movies. Uh, yeah. I, and I think, um, you know, when this movie sings, it really sings. No more so. And we should look. We should break into spoilers at this point because I think the 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 overall impression I I will have of the movie in its totality will be one that is kind of like you, which is like, yeah, it's okay, it's fine. But the the impression I want to make are the moments uh, that are specifically spoilers, which I think. Are beautiful, and um, there is no more a beautiful moment than uh, a Valkyrie flying into uh, into heaven, uh, you know, uh, carrying Amleth's soul, Valhalla, baby, yeah, into Val into Valhalla. Um, that that you know could only be rendered by this person in this sort of way, um, where you're just like, wait, is that who is that character? And then realizing what it is. Um, and I think the moment of the movie is, of course, Nicole Kidman as uh, Amleth's mother, Queen Gudrun. Uh, was it say that again? Queen Gudrun. Queen Gudrun. Gudrun. Um, uh, revealing to her son that um, her father was not all he was cracked up to be. And in fact, she may, she may not only may she have been the architect of uh, his demise, but she was also 
happy about that. So this entire quest. Yeah, she was going to kill had, him too. She was going to yeah. kill him as a kid. Yeah, yeah. The entire qu- the entire quest that he has had to to save his mother uh, was all for naught. And so and I, while her performance there was wonderful, mm-hmm. I felt like the movie didn't do a lot to earn it. Mm. Like Nicole Kidman. Listen, that's the best I've seen her outside of an AMC advertisement right. lately. <laughs> uh, side note, everyone still cheers when that comes on, and I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I, I didn't see it in AMC, so what, it didn't play. Oh, wow, wow, wow. But now any movie you see in an AMC, everyone cheers when the Nicole Kidman, like, uh, <laughs> a heartbreak feels good in a place like this ad comes on. Yeah. Um, but, like, they have one little, like, because we're presented with a, 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 a woman who loves her son and her husband and seems disappointed that he won't come to bed once. Right. But then all of a sudden, like, like, and again, I know they're not trying to like, you know, put the cart before the horse or spoiler it or whatever, but like, maybe I need to watch it again. Maybe write us in again. Uh, let us know what you saw. If you saw, I mean, I kind of saw the twist coming because I think a, I might somewhere behind my consciousness know the story already. And, um, and B, it just seemed like the natural end of Act Two, Swaparoo. Right. Um, but but again, sorry, Nicole. The performance in that moment is fucking legendary. And like, and I, but I think the thing is here is that it, it ultimately Amleth has somewhat of a change of heart for a moment uh, in uh, you know because of that revelation, but then continues upon his quest. Uh, as expected, uh, despite the revelation. And, and look, uh, to me, the the standout in this film is Anya Taylor Joy's character, who, uh, and again, moment of sheer beauty at the end of the in her final scene, curses the wind to carry her away, and we are we are uh, you know we see this beautiful gust of wind carry her ship on, um, you know, and she has her twins. She, there is a there is a Olga sort of like, of the birch forest bitch. <laughs> there's there is a sort of like. Um, particularly with Anya Taylor Joy, and perhaps because of uh, her her, uh, her her role as a fashion icon, there is a particular sort of quality when they when they put her in uh, magical dream scenes that feels a little bit um, like the cheat code, uh, like, like a vo- like there's a Vogue photo shoot in the middle of this movie um, <laughs> that, that you're just sort of like, oh okay, that's that, that's unusual. Um, but I do think she's wonderful in the film. I I, I wondered. You know, the, the, the sort of partnership that she and Amleth form where, uh, you know, he says, uh, you bring the brutality uh, and she's like, I have the cunning to break men's mind, which obviously plays out in the um, in the scene in which she poisons uh, other me- uh, the 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 um, the forces of the of uh, Fiona's uh, army, his tribe, his yeah. whatever you would call it. Fiona's um, uh, men. But that but that was generally about it. And then they fall in love and then she's and then she's pregnant. There, there's just. Just, I, I look. I I think all the pieces are there. I don't know why it is for me, but for me, there was something comical about the revelations of this movie, and there was something comical about the this this quest where I almost viewed it as as kind of funny. And um and I'm not sure that's the, that's the read you want from this movie. But at the same time, there were certainly moments where I was like, look, you know, this guy's great and he's firing on all cylinders and, and you know, he can, he, he makes beautiful. I, I love ambitious films like this that, you know, like 
you know, tell something that is uniquely um, from the perspective of someone who is deeply interested in the in uh, historical uh, in in the world of history, and also again with this sort of melding of mysticism and and brutality in sort of like really interesting and unique ways. I, I you know, uh, there's a uh, Ethan Hawke sort of talked about um, the way in which he wanted to be on set with someone who's just going big uh, and trying to make an apocalypse now. And, and he was just like, I kind of just want to be along, you know, on board for the ride as someone says, fuck it, I'm going to try and make apocalypse now. And I'm, I'm here for that sort of like mad swing. Uh, I don't feel like the movie quite connects in that particular way, but, but I like the swing and, and, but I, I, you know, and, and to, to, to sort of put it out there, I don't, I don't think the movie landed for me, um, despite its many beauties. And, you know, none, none more staggeringly of which is Alexander Skarsgård's Traps. Um, so take that for us. Let's get, I want, I want an Eric Northman spinoff. Right. I want, I want, I want the Eggers This was directed. it. This was, this was the origin uh, story no. because he then well, comes it, back it, as a werewolf. You right? know, it's funny. No, he's Eric a vampire Northman or a werewolf, in, I forget. He was a vampire. Yeah. He is a Viking in the series. Hey, look, man. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, side note, Ethan Hawke, uh, I've been watching Moon Knight, which yeah. I haven't watched the last episode yet, right. um, but I liked it. It started really in a poor pacing, and it's it's coming along. It's really interesting. Oscar Isaac and, and Ethan Hawke are carrying that thing on their fucking backs, okay. but they're doing a great job. Ethan Hawke's character here and Ethan Hawke's character in Moon Knight, just things I've watched a day apart, mm. are so just vastly different yeah. it's just awesome to see an actor of that range and i always forget even i, I shouldn't but ethan hawk it's a great actor <laughs> he's in, he's he's legendary at this point. exquisite what, what's it's, funny it's about him is that he nuts. like to me because again i grew up you know like um uh um uh, the dead poet society was the movie that i first saw him in you know i was a, I was a child when i saw it and i i still associate him with this boyish quality and in fact if you look at his face, there's just still this like boyish quality to him, despite the fact that he is like an aged man now. Um, and I can see how, as a child, Amleth looks up to his father. You know, like this this moment when his father walks in and says, um, "You know, uh, you are not a child anymore. Uh, we must do things the right way." But but and then he stops and he says, "But that doesn't stop his king from enjoying smothering." You know, and like and he picks up his son and he's so excited and they they have this sort of like dog ritual with William Defoe's character um uh you know which again i i i get it and it's beautiful i think once the movie then shifts into his killing and the assassination and and the revenge plot kind of moves into full machination it just falls short for me in a way that you know again i i i i find the revenge plot a little comical well maybe here's the thing maybe as a society or as a film going public, you and I particularly are over just solitary or solitary uh, revenge plots. Yeah, and it's a straight, like it's because a it's line, because right? it, it's old hat. It's the oldest hat, hmm. um, and I think it's okay for your movie for characters to be motivated by revenge, but I think that can't be the ultimate point right. of of the character's journey, not of what the movie's trying to say. And and to right? be fair, like, this movie. You know, does throw a massive spanner in the works of his journey. 
Right? Like, it really does Yeah, but something. you never once thought he was just going to go off into the sunset and be happy. Like, it it does that, but you're like, oh, okay, well, now we're going into the 20 minutes where he's calm until something happens and he makes a choice and he goes back and fucks with the guy anyway. Like, y- you never thought that. So it, I don't think it was a, a spanner or, like, a, 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 a hitch in the wheel or whatever. Like, it was just like, yep, and now act two. It, act two well, into three. Like, well, because I think what is happening there as well is that he has um, received this vision that he uh, will meet his fate uh, at the gates of hell. And he then interprets that vision as, um, as if I don't go and do this, you know, he will hunt you down and we will never be free. And I, you know, I think in a more complex story, that would be the story of like his foolhardishness, you know, his foolhearted search and, and like manifesting this vision into reality because he wants it to be true kind of thing. But I don't sure. think the film kind of gets there. It gets to this sort of like, you know, um, I feel like the vision of the end was not the complexities of him being at the gates of hell to fight Fionnia, but instead it was just like, and here is the battle, you know? And, yep. and, and Well, it's because because we've seen the entire film, right? Like, all he does is fuck with them and win. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when he's, when he's broken 80% of his army and killed all of his heirs and, like... Uh, you know, uh, all this shit, right? And then he's on the boat. He's like, we'll never be safe. He'll hunt us. Like, yeah, with who? He's got three dudes, <laughs> and he's already on the edge of the known world. No one respects him, and he's been beaten in battle, and he's been beaten by you. Right. What's this dude going to do? Like, and I get I get the, I get the, the fate. Well, fate has said this has to happen, mm. and cool. But, like... And for the Rus, the idea that fate... You know, like there is this uh, in the in the storytelling of the world that we, which we were presented, the idea that mytho- the the myths are more important than the rea- you know than the nature of life itself. You know, like I want to die in battle. I do not want to die in my bed. You know, like it is important that I die in this way. Um, it certainly makes sense that he would view the world that way. Does the film critique that view? In an, in a compelling enough way that the audience questions it, I I'm not sure it does. No, um, and and you know what? Here's something interesting. You know what the movie doesn't do, and I thought about this before. Mm-hmm. Until, until he the Northman. Uh, until um, he and Anna Taylor Anya Taylor Joy, uh, you know, hook up in the woods or whatever. There's not a m- real true moment of like overt kindness from him mm. or or like he's he's and maybe this is what the movie's trying to say but it makes it harder to latch on to him as like oh man I really hope he gets his revenge like he's just fucking slaughtering people and granted we're told that he's slaughtering bad people right except for that first really cool marvel-esque uh one shot where he just goes in and fucking destroys with a group of of he literally goes Viking uh, and just fucking annihilates a tr- uh, a group of people and is part of locking people in a building of women and children and burning them alive. And I was I, like, I'm supposed to root for this I, guy. I think the film is quite careful to ensure that he is not part of the the subsequent rating. But yes, you could, he's part. Oh he, no, but he was. He, they make it. So this is the thing. No, did he push people into a building and burn them alive? No. But were was that group of soldiers 
only able to do what they did because of what the Roos did, absolutely. Like, they like, make like, that they make that overtly clear. So it it's that weird like. But I think I don't know. You know, like I think the interesting journey. <laughs> You know, like, and maybe this is because I have a desire for extremities in my films. Uh, it would the interesting journey would be to try and redeem or, or try and tell the story of the man who does push the child into the into the uh, into the burning barn. And, that would be more honest. Yeah, and and like you know, see the film navigate the complexities of trying to do that. Um, I, I I think there is a there's a wonderful take on this film, which is that you could certainly watch this movie in some way from Fiona's perspective. Like there's a version of this movie that exists from Fiona's perspective where he is saving the woman who was a slave and was taken into this regime and, you know, forced to bear a child for a king from whom she does not love. Uh, and then, you know, like, then go off and try to live his life peacefully and then be attacked, you know, like attacked by the sure. son of that child. Where, you know, like you, can, you can certainly it, watch it from the you point can of view do that, where he is like also, the good guy. <laughs> I kind of wish that then they made uh, King uh, Ardvaldil, uh War Raven, Ethan Hawke, I kind of wish they just made him less likable. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be unlikable, it doesn't have to be whatever, but like, be perfectly fucking honest, he's like father of the year <laughs> until he gets slaughtered. So you're like, oh, you know, whatever. So then when the turn comes, you're like, oh, well... And I, guess, I guess we're seeing it from Amleth's perspective. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but we but here's the here's the weird thing about it. This is why that doesn't work. We see at least two scenes without Amleth around, with the father interacting with people. Mm-hmm. So that's not just his perspective. That's we're we're shown the type of man he is outside of it. Right. So like. It doesn't work. <laughs> no, well, no, it's not that it doesn't work. I think it actually funds. It's not effective. It's, it, not, it's emotionally not emotionally it's not, resonant. Yeah, it, it, like for me, again, it's a sort of a straight line of a revenge story that doesn't have the complexities to deal with like the nature of revenge. Now, again, there is a sort of interesting spanner in the works in this movie, which is that when he is confronted by his mother, uh, and that sort of like kind of beautifully perverse kiss that she gives him. Um, you know, I, these two actually played husband and wife, I think, in uh, Pretty Little Liars as well. So it's kind of amusing that she's playing his mother in this scene. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think there is a like a really delightful, almost, you know, dare I say it, Eggers-esque um, perversion to what he thinks is going to happen. But I think beyond that, the actual complexities that that character is dealing with don't feel resonant to me in a way that, like, makes this, uh, in, you know, more compelling than, like, hey, look at how cool... It's a Viking movie, yeah. you know? It sets up an Eggers sort of moment of of main character doubting themselves, mm. but never for a moment, unlike his other films. Like, you, you don't know what the last girl in the Vich is going to do. And you don't know what Robert Pattinson's going to do in the lighthouse. Like you could see them going either way. Yeah. And this, this movie, you never, no matter what happens in it, don't think he's not going to fucking go try yeah. to kill Phil. Nearby you're, you're, that, that is a hundred percent correct. When you're on the boat, there is no part of you that goes, I am, Unsure, you know what a yeah, bold. It's when is he jumping off? Yeah. When is he swimming? There's back? a like, yeah. Clearly, he's going to jump off this boat in a moment, right? Like, like there's just no way that this is not happening. Um, so you know, look uh, again. 
he gets my money. I will pay the money. Uh, Ten whole dollars. Uh, actually, I think I paid like 25 bucks for this movie to go see it at wow. RPX. Um, but anyway, I'm an A-list, it, baby. I only did my monthly. Oh, there you go. Um, I got to get on that. But, uh, but you know, it's just unfortunate. And again, I, I would urge you to to read the New Yorker article and read it with a grain of salt. And, and, just- and I would... I would urge you to watch the movie. Like I, I know we're kind of poo-pooing on it, but, but it's an interesting there's, discussion there's point interesting in terms of like here. Yeah, an interesting discussion point about like why does this movie not land with us, or perhaps it does with you, and you could explain why those character decisions really do resonate. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, write us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or annoy us on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Um, but yeah, for me, it just wasn't quite there. You know what I want to see? I was thinking about this because when I walked out and I wasn't quite. You know, thrilled. I was just again five out of ten for me. I was like, man, I don't want to see like Eggers do like Marvel shit. Like, I don't want to there, see that. There's I'm a like, whole conversation do- about Eggers in the Marvel world. Um, well, which- I'm like, what do I want? What do I want to see him do? And I, I came up with it. You know what I want to see Eggers do if he has to do a property? I want to see what Robert Eggers would do with Elden Ring. Hmm, sure. Or even Dark Souls. Like, if they ever decided to do a film version. The way he does sort of the way he has in the past, and again, I don't think this movie hits it, but like portrayed mythology and lore over story, but making stories resonate within them would be an absolute perfect fit for that. And I would love to see something like that if he had creative control over it. Yeah, I think creative um, control is the factor here. He's, uh, I think he's, he's publicly spoken that, uh, you know, and again, take it all with a grain of salt, you know, whenever you say something in public and does it really matter, um, uh, that he wouldn't do a film that was set in modern times for one and then when asked would he want to do a marvel movie you know he just sort of laughs that question off because it's obviously a question that gets asked asked of young filmmakers uh who um who have a certain pedigree of quality to their name uh and he i think he he appropriately responded with i don't think he says i think he said something on the lines of everything that i'm good at seems to be antithetical to what um what is required of a marvel right. filmmaker um, and he says, and you know, he says it in a way with a kind of reverence that he's like, I, I, I think those directors are really good at what they're doing in terms of like negotiating the Marvel machinery. Uh, and he's like, but I don't think I would be good at doing that. And, and, you know, like my instincts just don't veer in that direction. I think even in this New Yorker profile, he talks about the fact that, you know, he read Marvel comics up until the age of 10. And then he like describes himself as an elitist snob after being introduced into a, into, a, um, uh, into the works of art, you know, like some some wood carving, uh, and and he describes himself as like perhaps the most relatable you could describe him as is like a Bushwick hipster. But he says, but he's sure. but he's but he's like he says I'm far weirder than that, and it's unfortunate. Yeah. And I, you know what? But that's the thing. I like that about him, and I like mm-hmm. that. I like the the confrontational nature of the witch. I like the confrontation. Like even my um, uh, somewhat. Uh, lesser view of the lighthouse is not um, mitigated by the fact that I like the confrontational nature of what that film is and how much work you have to do as an audience to kind of buy into what is happening there. Uh, And again, that confrontational nature, you just hit another nail on the head for me, is not there in The Northman. For all of the violence and and the the vengeance plot, like it's, it's, it's front and center kind of on the surface but that level of conflict between two equal powers mm. is not there and the demands that that conflict asks of its audience 
right? Yeah, like, like it's just not present. Yeah, and so, so I, I think back on that yeah. quote from um, from his profile, which is that you know. Um, this was the most entertaining. <laughs> this was the most entertaining film uh, that I could possibly make, and I didn't think I would deliver. You know, the, the the most entertaining version is not necessarily something I'm usually striving for, but it was here. You know, and it happened. <laughs> it did. It is a, of public record. Yeah. Uh, and we will close off the public record by saying this has been the only podcast about the film The Northman. Shahir, when you are not. Uh, Burninating the countryside and burninating the peasants. Where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me hitting Northman as the Trogdor. Whoa. Uh, on my website at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D.com. Matt. That was exquisite. Uh, when you are quoting Homestar Runner and uh, hoping to vie for the, the rights to make the live action adaptation of Homestar Runner, where can people find you? You can find me throwing light switch raves over at my website, <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L dot com for my life and works. Also Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram and PSN, and Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. By the time this drops, y'all, Tulip Mania, episode one, about the air quotes first financial bubble in the Netherlands with uh, the their little tulip trading stock market. Mm. It is fucking fascinating it is one of my absolute i'm not even gonna pitch any other episode that is fucking watch that it's so interesting and if you like viking stuff right now as well so well welcome to thunderdome let's start buying them and trying to flip them like nf fucking t's neat flipping tulips let's go um just a quick question if you if you do see my son whenever we see tulips out in the wild and like in public garden he does want to pick them is that unethical to pick them i think it is yes it is completely unethical even for in a public yeah 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 yeah. i mean look would he be forgiven i'm sure he would yeah Yeah. he's a kid and you know why he'd be forgiven my kid is the sweetest kid he or whenever he always always like let's get a flower for mommy he's it's just like wherever we go he's like let's get a flower for mommy Listen, that's great. But then when the policeman comes, is like, is that your fucking tulip kid? I'm like, yeah, then, yeah, take him away, <laughs> take him away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm throwing him that's under the it. bus. <laughs> yep. Anyway, next week, uh, I believe a doctor will be in the house. Doctor, I, actually, it's funny. A friend of mine gave me a couple of Doctor Strange comic books to read, and I, I just uh, finished up the death of Doctor Strange. Uh, so I'm very curious about the return of Sam Raimi, but I'll admit, uh, you wanted to do the unbearable weight of massive talent, and I also want to do that movie. So I'm, I hopefully we can come around to that one at some point. Um, yeah. yeah, and we're in the Marvel. I have actually caught up. Other than the, there is this off-putting part about the way in which people are describing. <laughs> there, there was a moment where someone described the uh, Doctor Strange to the Multiverse of Madness as a sequel to both Doctor Strange One, WandaVision, Shang Chi, and a couple things and i was like uh you're exhausting me just telling me that <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's just... called the multiverse of madness i'm going in expecting it right but at the same time i have caught up with the, the big the last three marvel features which are all out now I, I i finally which i didn't you know i wasn't on the podcast for those episodes because they were playing theatrically and so i wasn't there and that was eternal shang chi and spider verse uh, uh spider-man no way Home. yeah did you watch wandavision no i did not watch WandaVision. so i've not watched any I, of the shows i've watched I the feel movies like you would really like well you'd like wandavision until the last episode i actually was cutting a package about wandavision at one point so i felt like i kind of I got what the show was 
um, right. throughout its entirety. It's just, the but performances I, are really good too. Yeah. Like it's it's worth it's worth your time. I would I would not say that to you normally about a Marvel property. I can't actually say any other Marvel show. I'd I'd say that to you about. There's so many um, of them. Like I just feel like there's a lot. Yeah, and it, it feels like an. Im- uh, impervious wall to me. Like I was just like, ah. Well, that's because you fell behind. The <laughs> yeah, trick I did. Is, I, I feel, don't fall behind. I fell far, far behind. So we'll see how if I catch up to Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness. I'm excited for the return of Sam Raimi. Yeah, me too. All right, everybody. Well, we'll talk to you about that next week. Until then, keep your long boats long and your uh, short hair. Mead halls <laughs> not on fire. We'll be Viking back to you. The next time we talk. Bye, everybody. Bye. See, now that was pretty much the level of enjoyment that I had while watching the movie.